Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of practical guitars to the low. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. Hello, Sam. Hi, Jim. How are you today? How are you guys? We have a guest today. We have Sam Miller. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the guest. Sam Miller from Deering Banjo. I was going to say, tell us what you do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, Sam, please introduce yourself. Um, Well, what I do is I banjo. You banjo. (laughs) You no, what you demonstrate I... <laughs> banjos for them? No, um, yeah, I'm uh, I I I repair and set up and customize and all that kind of stuff uh, for Deering Banjo Company. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, um, I understand you've had like a long career doing guitar repair and working for other companies and things like that, right? Yes. So we will ask you, maybe not. you don't have to mention the We're other We're not going to talk about specific people. I know there's been some some hubbub in the group, but um, <laughs> which is hilarious to yeah, me. But, yeah. uh, but we, it, we, it, we'll get around to that later. Okay. So during, during banjo, right? Like for those people, because I know like not everybody's super familiar with banjos. They're kind, yeah. they're kind of an American ethnic instrument. Yeah. Um, I actually have a banjo somewhere. Really? Ooh, really? Yeah, I think it's in my parents. Um, but so, you know, if you're not familiar, Deering is one of like the the premier banjo companies. You guys make other instruments too, though, right? It's not just banjos. Uh, you know, ba- back in the 80s, Deering made other instruments. But these days, uh, I, I want to say, I, I don't know specifically, but I want to say since about probably the early 90s or so, the company has decided to focus exclusively on banjos because their philosophy was along the lines of if we're focusing on other stuff besides banjos we're not doing banjos as well as we can so sure sure yeah so it used to it we used to but at some point we stopped uh and decided to just focus on banjos only so i can i can be completely honest when i was so when i was a kid I knew about Deering. Deering's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went in the Navy, I, the only banjo I ever saw was a Deering. A friend of mine actually had a banjo on the ship. Mm-hmm. It was a Deering. I, honestly, when I hear banjo, I didn't even know other companies made banjos. I thought oh, yeah. they were all made by Deering. 
Yeah, there's there's a few of them out there. I mean, um, the 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 big uh, popular banjo in the bluegrass world is you know Gibson. Like Gibson's always right. Um, the the thing is that Gibson doesn't make banjos in the U.S. anymore, so they're a little bit different now. But yeah, they you know the the Gibson Master Tone used to be like that. In in the in the days of like Earl Scruggs and like the right, birth, the right. birth of the birth and the growth of the popularity of bluegrass uh, was all based around the Gibson banjo, um, but mm. that era is uh, far far gone. Yes. <laughs> so unless people are playing like a an old Gibson, right? It's highly unlikely you're going to see the um, overseas models like in a, a Nashville Cat. Yeah. You know. Um, and that type of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, it, we have all we have wanted to get a person with luthier experience on here, okay. quite a while, <laughs> because we have so many dumb questions. Because we're we're stupid, and uh, so we we were like, you know what, we're gonna Jim, ask speak for someone. yourself. <laughs> we're gonna ask someone with some intelligence, because as yeah. you know, David just bought a um, a, a Kiesel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I bought I've just bought a lot of things and it always seems to be that way. <laughs> yeah. And so we we um we were talking about the fact that you know, Kiesel's one of the few brands that can come in and uh provide people with a um a decent guitar in a price uh-huh. range that's still in the you know, that's the mid price, mid-tier price. You yeah. can gig this guitar and not go Oh, it's too expensive. Take on stage, you know what? If this yeah, I beat mine up the other night. <laughs> like literally last night, I beat it up pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you build for Deering um, now. You used to work for another company. Yeah. And uh, so um, I kind of want to stick, you know, to asking you about the banjos. So we we had a little conversation. We have actually had a lot of conversations online because I'm always picking on you yeah. um, and some of the stuff that you're doing. And I love your memes. So, yeah. you know, keep them coming. And uh, it's, it's part of my, my morning entertainment for sure. So um, when you, uh, you were talking about banjos and sustain and stuff. So tell us a little bit about the, the physics of a banjo. Cause banjos don't make noise the way a guitar makes noise. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, the the basic idea with a banjo is i mean they're they're similar to guitars in a lot of ways uh Brats, but they're etc yeah they're, yeah exactly well you know and and there's some there are some other differences like for instance uh you know your typical banjo is going to have a flat fretboard rather than a radius right. fretboard but a lot of banjos also have radius fretboards so um, but the, the main, uh, I would say the main difference is, you know, with a guitar, um, whether it be an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar on an electric guitar, you've got the strings are sitting down on top of a bridge that's sitting on a solid piece of wood, or in the case of a hollow or semi-hollow guitar, they're sitting on a piece of wood that maybe has nothing underneath it or maybe a block underneath it um and then an acoustic guitar you know you've got the strings are they're 
they're sitting inside of a bridge, but they're kind of being pulled. Uh, but in a way, there's pressure uh, being put down on top of a saddle that's pressing down on a piece of wood. And that's right. how you get your main tone. Well, on a banjo, uh, it's essentially a neck with strings on it with a piece of wood that serves as the bridge sitting on top of a, uh, of a snare drum. <laughs> I yeah. was going to ask if that's a snare <laughs> yeah. drum, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. I mean, well, I mean, it's not a snare drum necessarily. <clears throat> it's, it, it's closest to a snare drum in terms of how most people would associate it, but it doesn't actually have like the wires underneath that. That's what I was going to actually make the sound. Yeah. So it's like an it's like a snare drum after you flip the lever and open it up, you know, like okay, yeah. like Danny Carey does a lot on the on on Tool, you know, he does a boom 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 like when the yep. snare drum kind of sounds like bung instead of tick, you know. Or when when a drummer is smart enough to turn it off during the break. Yes. Because. <laughs> Because yeah. yeah, the whole break, yeah. <laughs> all the music is going. Yeah, every time it you sounds hit, like somebody. Anytime you hit the B note on the low E string on the seventh fret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds yeah. like the drummer farted. <laughs> so Look, we put a we put a whoopee cushion under the drummer. <laughs> yeah. So just kind of trolling around, I, I pulled up your you guys' website while I was looking here, and I and I thought you guys made some of the things I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, but is everything you guys make made in the states? Yeah. Um, wow. And every, the prices are like low. Um, really? Well, yeah. I, I mean, so there's, uh, yeah, our, 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 our good timeline, right. which is kind of the entry level beginner stuff. I mean, that stuff ranges from, you know, uh, well, and I'll, I'll include discounted prices here. Um, uh, because we do sell out of the showroom some stuff for a little bit lower price where it's like, you know, you can get something that's maybe cosmetically flawed that we haven't thrown away. And it's like, it'll sound fine. It just looks a little messed up. Yeah. Right. Right. Like a, like a B stock or whatever. Yeah. Right? B stock. Um, so the, the good timeline that's, you know, that's, that's going to range from, you know, somewhere around, Somewhere around say four hundred, all the way up until a uh, all the way up to like twelve hundred, and that's that's kind of the entry level line. Oh, I found um, the one I want though. <laughs> which which one is it? The banjo source. Oh yeah, sixty four thousand dollars for yeah, this thing. Yeah, what? yeah, the sixty four thousand dollar one. Uh, well, you know, of course that was. Of course, that's gonna be the one you want, right? I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what was it, it, it the Banjosaurus? <laughs> Banjosaurus. <laughs> you know, uh, when I first started working, I thought at that Deering, said vegan banjo banjos. It says ve Vega banjos. Vega, I thought yeah. it said vegan. I was yeah. like, what is a vegan? Banjo? Yeah, that's right. All our banjos are vegan. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, well, we don't anyway, use. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we don't. We what? don't use our. Uh, we don't use our. Uh, <laughs> We don't make our necks out of steak or anything like that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> not like Gibson. Yeah, yeah no, not yeah, like Gibson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they saw him in half. Can you yeah. imagine that? <laughs> oh my gosh! They run um, over him with tanks, and they, and they and then they pour salt on them. You know, they ruin the steak, right? Um, oh, so I'm looking here, and it's ketchup. The one, the one that's always attracted me, right? Of course, naturally, is the six string. Yeah, the good, and I did not know that was like one of the entry level models. Yeah. And that makes me really excited. Yeah, like six ninety nine on well, their site. You, you know, I mean, it, it might be very, but 
Yeah, you know, it's it's actually funny because that's kind of a recent thing within the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. The the good time banjo line has always traditionally been five string banjos, which right. is what you would hear in bluegrass, or like tenor banjos, which is what you would hear in like Irish music, um, or like New Orleans jazz, like that kind of stuff. Uh, we started to figure out that there was a desire out there for a six string banjo, which is a banjo tuned like a guitar with six strings on it. Um, the first one that we developed was a nylon string version, which we called the Solana six, which I actually named by the way. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, nice. Um, uh, and then after that, we decided to develop a six string model with, uh, steel strings and a radius fingerboard, just like a six string guitar would be. Um, because there were a lot of people out there wanting them. And, you know, part of the reason is because some of the artists that we work with uh, use those. And people are out there, and they see it happening, and they they want to get one. Yeah, I've definitely... I In fact, the first time I became aware of a six-string banjo was with Taylor Swift. Yeah, I know that's exactly. Yeah. There were some people to admit. But, <laughs> I, um, remember, I remember it being a big deal when you could get a five-string. Yeah. So... Yeah, they were they were traditionally four string, obviously, mm-hmm. and they were trained. You're tuned to fourth, right? But it it was open C. Was it? Well, like- it's. It, I mean, there's a couple, uh, two different styles of four strings that, uh, are kind of the you could consider the standard. One is the tenor banjo, which is tuned to fifths, and it's the same tuning as like a viola. So. It's basically that's like a violin tuning, but a fifth. Uh, it, well, I guess it's a it's a fourth below. Right. Um, and then there's the plectrum banjo, which uh, can be tuned like the top four strings on a guitar, and that's fairly traditional. But sometimes people tune the two outer strings down a full step, so they'll tune the low string down to C instead of D, and the high string down to D instead of E. And uh, th- those types of banjos are usually used in like 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 Celtic music or jazz music, swing, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember that because the the jazz cats would play it. I mean, I grew up with Lawrence Welk still on television and things like <laughs> yeah. that. So, and yeah. there was a, still a lot of jazz being played in my day. And I remember um, when I saw the, uh, um, we had a little. It was. I mean, I say little. The the drum was still a regular size. But the the neck was very short. That's probably what you're referring to as far as tenor, right? Mm-hmm. It was four strings and a really short neck, probably maybe that long. Yeah, yeah, much shorter scale, shorter yeah. scale, heavier strings. Also, I got to say that the um, the six R, uh, you know, six string banjo you guys do with the uh, Midnight Maple fingerboard. That's oh a yeah, really good look. that's a really good look. Yeah, the Midnight I, Maple is nice yeah. looking. All yeah. right, so I'm looking at the Phoenix right now because that's the six-string <laughs> Eagle series, right? Uh-huh. And I got to ask you because, and this is a general general thing, not even the Phoenix in specific, pickups on a banjo. Because I remember hearing about pickups on a banjo early on. When, when I first saw them, like I'd see Scruggs and, um, uh, was it Tubbs and Scruggs or whatever? They would be on uh, um, uh, like Hee Haw and they'd be on, uh, before that there was, Old time Opry or something like that, and or Grand Ole Opry, yeah. And uh, 
they'd come out and it was always mic'd. I, I never saw a banjo with with a pickup in it until actually relatively recently. I don't want to say it was, but at least in the last twenty something years. Uh-huh. So a pickup in a banjo is it like a piezo? Is that how it works? I mean, I can't um, I can't imagine because the the drum doesn't work like the top of a of a guitar. Yeah, so. You'd almost have to put a microphone behind it. Yeah. Um, okay. So. I, I, do you, do you guys mind if I go into a little bit of depth here? No, yeah, absolutely. No, go do. for it. So, okay. So it, you, you can, a traditional banjo that would be used for say traditional folk music, like something that Pete Seeger might've done. Right. Right. That's going to be an open back banjo. You're just going to see a, a rim that mm-hmm. it's, there's nothing behind it. It's just a, it's literally just like a, like a drum with that doesn't have a resonant head on the bottom of it. Right. You know, um, and the sound on a banjo, I mean, to a certain extent it projects forward, but naturally it projects backward through, right. through the rim. So, uh, a resonator is what you would call the round wooden back that you would see on a banjo. Okay. That's, that's considered the t- traditional bluegrass banjo. And the reason for the resonator is because the sound, when you play, it travels through the through the back of the rim, and the resonator has a rounded back. So acoustically, it takes the it takes the sound and it and it bounces it, it. It projects it outward uh, through right. the sides it, of the rim. Okay, so through, so so it is still going. It's going in front of you. But yes. it's going around the rim on the outside. That's yeah. interesting because I because I always yeah. thought it would like pass through the through the rim, right? But I'd never really realized that it would go around the edges, which kind of makes sense because the ones I yeah. played, they've all yeah. been they've all been resonator style, and yeah. you can hear the you can hear the sound like better, you know, playing it because it's right, right above you, or like like right below you yeah. than you would if you were like three feet in front of it. For sure, know? yeah, yeah, and, and so that's that's kind of the way it works, but. Um, you know, the the thing is that uh, amplifying a banjo has always been one of the most tricky things to do because you got to figure the the head of a banjo it works like it, it it works like a microphone and a speaker at the same time, right? So, as you can imagine, um, uh, there's. Uh, there's kind of a tricky thing that happens when you get in a live situation, for instance, because every little bit of sound or vibration that's coming out of the air that's surrounding you is going to be picked up by that banjo head in some right. way. So when you have a piezo pickup, you know, I mean, you, you, you can, that's the traditional way to amplify an acoustic guitar, right? Right, but it's prone to noise. If you if you've ever beat on a piezo, like a piezo bridge, like you could, or if you just palm mute, you can hear vibration if they, if it's not set up properly and that kind of thing. Yeah, and and that, so that's the thing. It, it's the same concept, but what happens is on a banjo, it's just amplified by like by like twenty times. Yeah. Right. So there's a battle because a piezo pickup is the best way to get the most natural sound out of the banjo that you're going to get. But if you're playing in a live situation, particularly on a big stage, uh, a a stage, you know, if you're playing on a stage that say 
Mumford and Sons or Dropkick Murphys would play on, you're gonna right. have a you're gonna have a big problem. Yeah. So that's why, um, like I mean, I I have piezo pickups on my banjos, and I use them in the studio. Um, I prefer just you know I usually blend. I'll I'll have I just the, say usually piezo is like blended with yeah, you know yeah. I, I'll, I'll 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 plug it in and I'll send that signal. Um, I'll send that signal to the board and then, but I'll also have, you know, I'll also put a condenser mic on it and just have the physical acoustic sound of the banjo mic'd. And then you can kind of, you can, you know, you can blend and mix those signals as, as whatever you need to do with them uh, to make the recording sound like you want it to sound. And the hardest part, like at least in my mind to doing this is the, the phasing issues, right? I mean, that's... yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and and you do have to yeah, you do have to work with that a little bit. Um but but here's the thing. So that that's always been the struggle in the banjo amplification world, right? Like figuring out how to get this how do you strike the balance between having a good sound and and uh also controlling noise and feedback and all that kind of stuff. Um so uh a number of years ago, Deering started working with a guy named John Cavanaugh, and okay. he developed he developed a banjo pickup system. There's actually um, uh, he'll he'll punch holes in the head of a banjo and install a humbucker pickup uh, on the head. Mm-hmm. And but the thing is, the way that it's wired. Uh, the way that it's wired and the magnets that he uses, I can't tell you specifics about what he does, but you can you can look him up on the internet. Um, you know, Cavanjo pickups, K A V A N G or J O. Um, it's he essentially he he wires them in a way where they're voiced to work specifically for tones that you would want on a banjo. So for for people that for people that play banjo live on bigger stages where they need a lot more volume and they don't want to feed back, um, th- this has been kind of a, a, a really good way to uh, to do that. Now, um, other other companies have developed similar things, like uh, uh, my personal banjo that I have. Um, I don't have a Cavanjo pickup on mine. I have an EMG pickup that's designed to do kind of the same thing it's a it's a humbucker that gets installed underneath the head right and it just it works exactly like an electric guitar pickup yeah um you, you know it, so are these pickups voice neutral i mean that's my assumption is because you're trying to emulate the sound of like the actual banjo yeah yeah they're they're i i, I again i don't know the exact specifics but yeah they're they're voiced they're they're voiced in a way um, that the Cavanjo pickups are voiced in a way where they're they're meant to accentuate the frequencies you would want on a banjo. So there's a lot of like there's okay. a lot of mid range. Um, the EMG that I have on my banjo uh, has it's it sounds flat. You know, like if you if if I'm recording and I've got I've got my plug going into a preamp and into the into the you know into Pro Tools. And right. I'm listening to it back on the headphones. I'm hearing a very flat, boring sound that can be mixed to be an interesting sound. But it's just 
for the sake of recording, it's good to get as many signals as you can. Sure. Um, and then I've on top of that, I've got the mic'd signal, you know, that's actually like mic'd on the banjo. So it's then, a couple different things. You, yeah, get your options open, ocean, yeah. uh, open for mixing later. Yeah, so the concept behind the Cavanjo pickup was uh, uh, John Cavanaugh wanted for banjo players to be able to play loud on big stages without having all of the sound issues, and he wanted it to sound like a banjo. Because people have put electric guitar pickups on banjos before, but it sounds like an electric guitar. Right. <laughs> you know. So Right. It, it, and I actually, I, I think that's probably a very unique thing unto itself. Sure. Um, my, my, you know, affinity for the six-string banjo would be put it in double drop D and then go out and play sitar-like stuff. Um, <laughs> because then, and, and I'm actually, like, if I had that kind of money laying around right now, I, I would definitely be considering doing it. Um, but, that's that's I mean that would be a unique thing like I would get one of these and I would put just a regular electric guitar pickup in it and just see what happened you know put a single coil or something in it sure um but that's because I'm I'm absolutely insane but the <laughs> goals of a you know the goal of a banjo player is to represent this neutrally and try yeah. to make it like a microphone based sound right and and not yeah. so much like a um like a pickup because that's where you would get into that like here now yeah. I sound like an electric guitar well. You know, here's the thing: like the 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 nature of the banjo and the way it's constructed. It's constructed. Uh, going going back a little bit to what we were originally talking about. Right. Um, when you have a bridge that's sitting on top of a very thin banjo head, which nowadays they're they're made out of like mylar usually or some yeah. form of plastic. Back in the day, they were just literally animal skins, mm -hmm. right? Um, when you've got a bridge sitting on top of something like that. It doesn't quite resonate the same way that wood does, so you're not right. going to get you're not going to get that much sustain out of it. You're going to yeah, get they, a, they decay very quickly. They do, yeah. They're they're not considered a sustaining type of instrument, right? Um, actually, it's more of an attack, and we talked about that because yeah, we I joked about sustain. That, I yeah, said, right. why don't you put a sustainiac in right. there? Now that would be interesting. I, I mean, I've I actually, be... yeah. You know, I. I, I I have a fretless five-string banjo, and I used an ebo on it one time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave him, I gave him the uh, the big pointer, the ebo. Yes, yeah. And you know what? It was funny that that was that was weird as hell, but it was cool. You know, yeah. I, I put some delay I, on it. You I know? <laughs> know I've heard that on a Joe Bonamouth record. Somewhere. I would think that, that would be. Yeah. yeah, I would think that would wind up being almost like a um uh, a theremin. <laughs> in that it would work yeah. real weird, right? In yeah. a way, yeah. In a way, the 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 thing about the thing about an ebo with a banjo is it's like once you put an ebo on it, you're eliminating the sustain problem because you've now got a magnet, an electromagnet, sustaining the string for you. So yeah, all you're left with is the super like upper mid range tone of the banjo. So it's it's a lot like a guitar on an ebo if you played it with a slide you know yeah i think i've right. actually used my ebo on my banjo before yeah yeah many many moons ago but um <laughs> i don't recall what that experiment was like um now you've got to do like um jimmy page and get yourself a bow, and bow my, that my daughter's <laughs> violin is supposed to arrive sometime next week so yeah um, you, you know it's going to be really hard to keep that away from my guitars um <clears throat> no but in actuality like i think it's interesting when your comment there you phrased the um 
you phrased it as the sustained problem. So my assumption is that in the banjo world, like everybody's still trying to get more sustain out of their existing banjos, or is are they just kind of okay with not having? <laughs> well, I, I I suppose uh I, I suppose problem was the wrong word to use. Okay, that's uh, why because... that's why I'm asking because I'm like yeah, that's kind yeah. of the characteristic of that instrument. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you know, because the reality is you could you could put you could put a five string banjo neck on a Telecaster and play it like a banjo and it would have the sustain of a guitar and the tone of an electric right. guitar. Right. Um but yeah, the characteristic thing about a banjo is the, is the sustain and the upper mid-range. Well, you know, you can fix the upper mid-range problem by EQing, right? Right. Again, well, there's that word problem. I shouldn't say problem. I have to remember not to say that word. But uh, you know, you could you could fix that. You could get rid of the, you know, you could you could hone in on that frequency yeah, you could in, modify in mixing. It or, yeah. Right. So the the thing is like sustain, right? Now, there's all these there's all these devices out there now that make your electric guitar sound like a banjo, you know. And it's like, why don't we just put a rubber band around the strings instead? Yeah. It, well, and and the whole point, if you look at them, <clears throat> the whole point is to kill the sustain. Yep. It's not even necessarily to change the tone. It's just to kill the sustain. You want a very short decay, right? Bop, bop, bop. If if I play a note on a banjo, and I and I let it ring, it's gonna go. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, if you play a note fast. on a guitar and you let it ring, it's gonna it's gonna go far longer than that, right? Right, right. So yeah, that is the characteristic of the banjo. It's it's um the upper mid range frequency that you get from it. I mean, seriously, just the just the the vibrations transferring from the string through the wooden bridge down onto the head of a drum. You get a very mid rangey, not so sustainy sound, and that's that's the characteristic banjo sound. That's what you want when you're looking for a banjo. So, right, yeah, very very cool. I so I gotta ask when it comes to banjo. Um, so five string banjos are still like the way they were built a long time ago, where the fifth string is real short. Yeah, it, it's like three frets shy, and it's of the not. That's not really your thickest string on a five string, right? No, if I no. remember right, not at that's all. a thin string. Yeah. It, it it's very counterintuitive for a guitar player because the fifth string on a banjo on a on a traditional five string banjo, it starts at the fifth fret. And right, right. or on, on a long neck banjo, which extends uh three frets lower in scale, yep. it starts on the eighth on the eighth fret. Um uh, and the the idea behind the fifth string is that it, it wasn't intended to be played in terms of like, oh, I'm gonna fret this and and play. It, it was meant to be a drone string, right? So you're not even really supposed to. If you're trying to be traditional, you're not even right. really supposed to fret the thing. You wouldn't fret it. Um, but you know, players like players like Bela Fleck and and Jens Kruger and guys like those. They, they'll they'll utilize anything they can on the five string banjo, so they'll fret them all day and night. Now, the thing about the fifth string on a banjo, uh, a traditional five string banjo, that's going to be your highest tuned string. Yeah, but but in terms of like picking, it's going to be your lowest string. So yeah. it's string number five, right? Yeah. So yeah. 
on an electric guitar and a six string guitar, you would have, you know, your every, I, I'm a music teacher. So I deal with this all the time, having to explain to people like, you know, you know, string number one is the is high your e. lowest in pitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it works like that. You know, it's, it, you know, it would be like where your A string would be on a, on a six string guitar. Right. But it's the highest tuned string on the instrument. So that's kind of a weird thing for guitar <laughs> players to get over. Um, because the other the the main four strings, the main four strings are tuned. If you were to tune your high E string down to D, and only play the the top four strings on a guitar, you would have a banjo tuning minus the fifth string. Yeah, right. You know, so there's a lot of trans there. There's a there's a lot of carryover in in like in like chording. You just have to remember that 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 your first string is tuned one whole step lower than it would be on a guitar um yep. you know but then there's that fifth string so it's it's just a whole nother it's 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 a whole different world you know you have to there's a lot of carryover but you also to play get to play banjo from being a guitar player if you're gonna play five string banjo you have to you have to like change your brain <laughs> i think that's the most important thing like so i played um five and strict six string guitar or i mean bass yeah. sorry yeah, and one of the things, yeah, I, five I've string obviously guitar, played really <laughs> six string guitar, but now um, five and strict, six string bass, and my preference is five string bass. Mm -hmm. Even though you're, you know, a lot of your your uh, uh, old school bassists are like four strings is good enough. If it was good enough for insert famous bass player that only had Jocko. four strings available to it at the time, um, yeah, it's good enough, it's for, good Jocko. enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jocko. he didn't even need frets. <laughs> That guy also pulled the frets out of his yeah. guitar and said, "You know what? They were you called got some speed bumps, not frets. I'm just gonna, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna put some, I'm just gonna put some glue in here. Yeah, that's good enough. I'll keep the the fretboard from from going. Over. <laughs> yeah, it, not all of us has got that it, adventurous spirit. <laughs> so yeah, and so it made me think because some of my favorite bands like that that still use um, banjo, obviously Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of the um, like Allison Krauss's band, mm -hmm. um, and I never thought about the fact that these folks are carrying their banjo and and like you said they're they're using an electric banjo, mm -hmm. right? I should say electric a, a uh, pickup installed banjo, yeah. which kind of kind of threw me off because I'm I'm sitting here looking at the cover guy introducing the Winston Marshall signature, right? Yeah, and as these guys. Incredible, right? So, and like you said, he's it, it, so what he's doing right now, I would imagine, is either he's fretting that fifth string or he's actually muting it so that it won't drone while he's doing something else with the rest of his. Yeah. Because there's so many different techniques, and people who who have never played banjo, you a lot of these techniques they do cross, especially in the acoustic world, like a guy like um, uh, Emmanuel, Tommy Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His style of playing would translate really well to to um, playing banjo. I'm I'm sure that guy. Oh, has absolutely, done it. yeah. Uh, and uh, so I I have to ask you, so, so let's say you're in the Dropkick Murphys, or you're in uh, um, you know this uh, band with this guy Winston Marshall. I I kind of wonder, I, you know, how are they getting away with that on the stages? I mean, it's like, <laughs> well. It's just incredible to me because I I do know about that 
you know, that, that thing that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and a lot of them use a claw hammer technique, right? Yeah. Where they're, well, it's not a strumming. Right? Yeah. It, it's it, it. Claw hammer is kind of an old style, like finger picking, um, where it's, it's hard to explain. It's like, it's like your hand, your hand is moving in, 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 in like an eighth note rhythm. Right. But you might be picking like 16th notes because yeah. you're, you're hitting strings with, you know, you're, you're using, you're using your thumb to down pick, uh, certain notes. And then you're also using your, like your index and middle fingers to upstroke certain notes as finger picking, but you're also using the fingernails, um, on, on your, your one, three and five fingers to kind of strum downstrokes, right? There's a there's a weird thing about that where I mean it's a really tricky technique to actually get right. Yeah. And 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 it's very difficult. Well, a lot of blues players used to use that, you know, guys the uh, claw hammer banjo technique could be compared to something like on blues guitar uh Robert Johnson, you know. Yep. That that's that kind of style, right? He was he was using essentially what could be compared to a guitar version of the blue of a banjo claw hammer style, but you know that translates over into other styles of music too. Interestingly, Les Claypool, for instance, yep, um, Les Claypool's bass technique is essentially he's essentially taking Larry Graham slap bass uh-huh. and and mixing it together with claw hammer banjo style and he's using that to play bass yep once you figure that out about les claypool's style you start to realize that his playing is not actually as difficult or complicated like as you always thought it was right and and i learned that because i play bass also i bass is one of the things i do not professionally as much as i do guitar or synthesizers but i play bass professionally once in a while and I've been playing bass long enough. I grew up on Primus, <laughs> you know. Um, Who hasn't at this point? <laughs> and at, at some point, I figured out, oh, damn, Les Claypool's just using, like, banjo style on his, on his bass. And then it just, it just opened up a whole new world, and I instantly I was like, oh, I get it now. And now I can, now I can play this, a lot of the stuff that he does. Because um, I already had the slap bass under my belt. Well, the thing is, like, one thing to understand about guys, like, th- this is a weird thing about, um, like, Mumford and Sons, right? Winston Marshall and Jeff DeRosa from Dropkick Murphys. Those guys are both electric guitar players. Um, mm-hmm. Their first instrument is not banjo. Now, um, uh, I, I saw Winston Marshall, like, when Mumford and Sons started... Uh, before they were, before they decided to kind of use like folk instruments, you know, they were all just kind of musicians doing stuff. Like Marcus Mumford was a drummer, you know. Um, right. W- Winston Marshall was a guitar player. Uh, these guys all just came together and decided, you know what? Let's let's see what we can do with like banjos and stuff. And and the thing is, Marcus Mumford started playing guitar and like open tunings and they just kind of developed this crazy sound 
Um, it's not a crazy. It's not actually a crazy sound at all. It just became really popular for whatever reason. At the time that it came out, it was fresh. It seemed fresh to people, even though it's a pretty kind of old style of music, right? Um, yeah, they just took like yeah, folk rock style music. It's very driving and stuff, you know. But they they just did it with acoustic instruments, and with, there's a banjo in there. Well. What what a lot of people don't realize, and this is true of Jeff DeRosa from Drop, Dropkick Murphys as well, um, and I've worked with both of those guys. Uh, I've worked on their on their banjos and um, and and I kind of see the things that I see the things that they want from their instruments, and they it's like they just they're just approaching it from like a standpoint of like. We just want to, I just want to be able to do something that I, like, they, they want to be able to do what they can do with the instrument they're playing to make the music that's in their head, right? So, whatever that entails, you know, for yeah, Winston, yeah. it's this, if he's playing banjo, it's it's largely because he wants banjo sounds. Because if not, he's just going to play an electric guitar. He plays like mm -hmm. an SG, you know, um and i've seen him i've seen him play it live too there True. there were some of the songs that they did the first time i saw them you know some of the songs that have banjo in them on the album winston would play like an sg on that song because the guitar is more prominent on that song than say the banjo but then the banjo just adds a certain like percussive and melodic element at the same time so on certain songs you need it right um and then sure you know, so as far as I can tell, it's really just, it's really just musicians going, what can we use to get the sound that's in our head? You know, if that happens, if that happens to be a banjo. Now, Winston yeah. Marshall tends to try to play the banjo a little bit more like you would expect a banjo to be played. You know, he's finger picking, he's doing banjo rolls like you're, um, Jeff DeRosa from Dropkick right, Murphys right. though. I mean, he's not doing that at all. He's he's using a pick and he's strumming it just like you would a guitar. It's just that it's a tenor banjo tuned to fifths like a viola would be. Um, and actually, he uses a uh, he uses what's called the Irish the Irish tuning. And what that is is it's an octave lower than a violin or a mandolin, uh, but it's tuned to the same notes, right? So you've okay. got like G D A E. Um, but it's an octave lower than a mandolin or a violin e, would be. Right. And so sometimes if you go see Dropkick yep. Murphys, you'll see Jeff DeRosa playing. Sometimes he's playing electric guitar. Sometimes he's playing banjo. If he's playing banjo, he's playing tenor banjo. So it really just, it it's just a matter, honestly, uh, of what the song needs. And And interestingly, a lot of guys that do that on a professional level are typically with a few exceptions, they're typically not using banjos and tuning them like guitars to make it easier. They're just learning. They're just learning the chord shapes that they need to on that instrument. So I, I, I and I appreciate that dedication, right. you know, like learning an instrument for what it was intended to be. Um, and, and so I guess I, I guess in a way I get a little bit salty sometimes when I uh, when I see people 
doing, you know, hey, here's this magnet you can put underneath your strings on your telly to make it sound like a banjo. You know, and I have to keep control of that because at one, you know, in one way, I can't knock that. You know, I can't, I can't fault. Right. Yeah. It's right. Just I, I can't fault. I can't fault a musician for wanting right. to just get a different tone out of their, out of their, out of their guitar. But part of me, part of me also goes, also goes. Ah, why don't you just play a banjo? You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally. Get a banjo. Totally. Totally. Well, you know, and and for the vast majority, I think of what what you know has been popular music for the last, um, and I say vast majority for a reason. Popular music for the last fifty years, it would not be a stretch of the imagination. I mean, I do I self produce all my own music. Like I'm playing drums or using um, samples and whatnot to create my drum tracks, and I'll either play bass or I'll program bass. Um, but I try to do it, you know, as as performatively as possible. Um, to get to get real feels like it's not that hard and or a stretch to think of everybody like being able to right. be a multi instrumentalist in that sense. If you already play a guitar, it's it's a different skill set, but not a huge stretch to pick up a bass. And it, I would imagine that transitioning to banjo as a serious instrument would probably be basically the same thing. Like it's not a totally different skill set. But it's definitely more tools that you have to add to your toolbox to make it happen, and maybe a different approach that you have to kind of come to terms with. I think that's why, like, I was talking about me playing bass earlier, but I kind of lost track of thought. Um, we kind of went in another direction. But um, when I play bass, I play bass in a traditional style. It's it's very, you know, um, overhand. Um, I tend to use my thumb only in certain points, um, and so. I can't actually, I, I have a lot of difficulty playing bass with a pick. I really can't do it. Um, unless it's like a downstroke punk song. Yeah, like that's kind of how I, I am with it not, too. Yeah, I cannot play bass that way. It's because I'm thinking in a different way. I mean, everything you do is different. And for the short period that I've, I've picked up banjo once in a while, um, I always, ha I always thought the banjo tuning and, um, like you were talking about, I was used to that GDA. What is it? GDA and E, yeah. right? Is the tuning, and uh, so that was typically what I used. So obviously the fingering was different, and so I would think in a different finger style, which is funny because I can play finger style on a banjo. Give me a guitar, and I have <laughs> trouble with it. <laughs> yeah, I look at it as a different instrument, and my brain shifts, and I think this way instead of yeah. this way. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm interested. You sold me. Like, I'm, I'm, I, next time I get, uh, get into a place that actually has banjos, I'm going to look for some gearing stuff and try to play some. Um, I really like this Winston model. Yeah, dude, that's, this is that's really, a beautiful yeah, that is a piece. Gorgeous, gorgeous piece. Um, I wish people would put that kind of dedication into guitars of similar yeah. prices because, to be honest with you, I don't think that there's a lot of, yeah, brands. that's not expensive. I mean, it's well, expensive it, it, to some people, but that's not extremely expensive. Well, you know, I, I look at I look at the banjo. No, I was just going to say, go like ahead. in 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 the grand scheme of things, the the interesting thing about Winston is that traditionally he's always played our Eagle Two model. That's been what he's used for. I mean, he started using them on their second album, and he's been using them since, and he loved it. It's actually one of our the Eagle Two model is actually one of our lower in terms of our upper line. 
models. Uh, that's one of the lower priced ones, you know. Um, right. But he he loved it. You know, he loved the tone yeah. of it, and it is different. It it is different than some of the upper line, the upper upper line ones. The Eagle Two, it's like, it's you know, it has a it has a thinner flange on it. Um, it's got a it's got a different tone ring on it. Like the uh, just uh, this is uh, for guitar people who don't know anything about banjos like uh, a tone ring is a piece of metal that is attached to the uh to the to the wooden rim of the banjo um that you know the the part where the the head is tightened down over the the bearing edge is going to be a metal instead of instead of wood that's the tone ring the eagle 2 has a different tone ring than some of our other upper line deerings um you know, et cetera. There's all, and it's all maple. Uh, whereas most of our standard models are like a maple rim with a mahogany neck. The Eagle Two is all maple. Winston Marshall really loved that, that, that banjo. But a couple of years ago, we came out with a model that was similar to the Eagle Two. It had the same flange and the same basic construction, but it had no tone ring, and it was made out of white oak instead of maple winston came to the shop and he fell in love with it right well that that was the beginning of his signature model because we'd been talking with his management for years to try and figure out how can we do a winston signature model and you know winston wanted to do one but he didn't want to do one until he was settled on what exactly he wanted and didn't want in it and the thing is we as a company we didn't want to put something out there that was like oh you know this is the winston signature model but it's not actually going to be exactly like his is we wanted to make sure that if we had a signature model and we do this with all of our artists any signature model deering that you get is going to be literally exactly the same thing that we give to the artist that actually that whose name is on it. That that's really no. Cool it's not. That's it, not. It, the and case sometimes in it is in guitars, <laughs> but it's pretty rare. Yeah, no. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, that's the thing rarely. with gearing is yeah. now. And a few exceptions would be, for instance, um, like you know, if if you were to buy, uh, if you were to buy a certain signature model by one of our artists who, after they developed their signature model came back to us and made some adjustments on it and said, you know, I want this and we change it maybe specifically only for that banjo. We're not going to change that on the whole line um, mm-hmm. unless it becomes a consistent thing that they want. You know, if, if they, if they, if they come. Right. Right. If they have a one off, but if they come back to us again and again and again, and they say, Hey, you know, I really want this to happen. That's when we're well, we're going to start to consider. Well, you know, maybe we should just change this on the line because we want the we want the general public to be able to buy the banjo that the person they that that they idolize is actually plays. So the thing about the Winston Marshall model, this has been a long time in the works. I mean, we've probably been we've been talking about this with Winston and working on it and going back and forth with his management to get the details of the business sorted out for probably around six years. Um, 
to actually get to where we could finally release it. And oh, right. one of the things that's unique about Winston's, we've always like customized his Eagle twos, right? Um, he likes to have, he likes to tape an mm -hmm. SM57 on the inside of his banjos. And, and he would always have us install an XLR plug <laughs> in addition to the quarter inch plug that he was using for the Cavanjo pickup, which was also in addition to the other quarter inch plug that he had for the Piezo pickup. So he's at any given time, he's feeding at least three signals to the soundboard. Uh, to to get his live sound, so one of the things about the yeah, Winston Marshall model he wanted, he specifically said, "I want the Cavanjo pickup." He liked the uh, he liked the white oak body with no tone ring because it's lighter weight. Uh, but but he liked the tone of it. It sounds different than right. the Eagles he's always played, but he liked the tone of it. So he said, "You know, I want this. It looks like the Eagle, but it's a different wood." Um, he wanted a head on it that had a little bit less of a bright sound. He wanted a little bit more of a of a mellow sound that he could still dig in and get the bright sound. He wanted a Cavanjo pickup on it. He wanted a Piezo pickup on it. But he wanted a toggle switch on it, like an electric guitar pickup switch, right? He wanted to be able to switch or blend right. the, the Piezo and the Cavanjo pickup. But he also wanted each one of those to have their own independent volume controls, right? Well, another thing about the Winston Marshall model right. is yeah, it doesn't come with a, with an SM57 installed inside of it, but what it does come with is is it comes with, with an XLR jack installed that's, that's made so that it's ready for right. you to, if you want to zip tie an SM57 on the inside of your banjo and 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 plug it into this plug using you can yeah well that's probably why it likes the lower weight because exactly a, exactly a two pound microphone so so it's, that's the thing when you yeah. when you buy a Winston Marshall signature model Deering you're you're literally buying exactly the banjo that he plays on tour and on record um yeah very very cool that's nice. That's a so, that's a gorgeous we, piece. We were talking way. about the price on these. Uh, the Winston the Winston Marshall signature is is uh, forty six hundred mm -hmm. retail, um, which you know I know a lot of people like. Look, this is what I started to say before before uh, we went down that path. I I think a lot of people have a tendency to look at something and say, "Oh, well, that's over three grand. Like that's ultra yeah. high end." And in the guitar world, that's the case. But actually, in in the case of any sort of specialty instrument, yeah, forty five hundred bucks is nothing. That's a drop of the bucket. Even even honestly, for an acoustic guitar, I mean that is a higher end acoustic guitar. But you go out and print price yourself some of their decent um, right uh, Martins, your Gibsons, yeah. and your high end Taylors, your really high end Taylors, and it's not it's not yeah. that far off the ballpark. Plus, these things are made in the U.S. Uh, like the other the other stuff I've mentioned before, so it's <clears throat> I don't know I you know it it even mentions on the uh, on the Winston Churchill or the Winston Churchill wow. Winston Marshall <laughs> uh, page uh, for the for the banjo it does say that it's got the I was going to ask you if you didn't mention it about the um, it says it's got an XLR so if you want to install a microphone inside the pot of the banjo yeah. have at it you can do that. <laughs> It says it right on there. So it. it's. It, I was like, "Wow, this thing is 
literally um, ran out of the box. Now, I'm going to ask you a silly question. Let's say I wanted to buy one of these, and I said, geez, I want that XLR, or I mean that SM57. Would you guys, if I said, hey, could you guys put that in there for me? So, <laughs> so I didn't have to pull here's, apart, here's where I come in, in. Put it back together. Um, be, <laughs> because now... I, I'm, I'm I'm the head of the repairs department, right? I, I'm the only person that works in the repairs department, but, you know, so it, it's kind of a funny situation because I'm managing a department that I'm the only person working in. Um, <laughs> right. Does your person ever, yeah, ever right. tick you off and you have yeah. to be like, hey, they're not going to do that today. Yeah. That guy's He's always on fire himself at work. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, but, but here's the thing. Um, I don't just do repairs. Um, I'm also the guy who, uh, if if an artist or a customer wants a custom upgrade done, well, they're like what you were just talking about. They're not going to go to the st- they're not going to go to the production shop for that. What they're going to do is they're going to bring that to me, and be- because I can now. So in short. Yes, we yes we'll do that, um, but we treat it as a repair situation. Yeah. So you're gonna have to pay, you know, if, if right, yeah, you're gonna have to yeah. pay labor and Whatever you know, labor our, is our labor course, charge, right? our our labor cost is one hundred twenty dollars an hour. So, it, right, it's a factory right. warranty. Yeah, factory exactly. warranty. Factory warranty. And 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 have you hired? And and I guarantee my work yeah. as well. You know, I like I. I guarantee my work in terms of repairs on top of whatever you're getting standard. So if you're buying this as a new banjo and you say, hey, I want you to install the SM57 for me and you send me an SM57, then then yes. Or whatever microphone right, you want. That's what I would do. Um, yeah. I would evaluate it. Yeah. I, I would right. look at Provided it. it I would evaluate <laughs> it. I would say, hey, you know what? This is going to take me a half hour. So that's 60 bucks. Um, if you wanted right. us to get the SM57, right. Right. we would do that too. We would just add the price of it. Yeah, we don't we don't like to do that, that because it means right. that I have to. It, it, right. it, that's Plus gonna. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to source parts right. and all that, right? Yeah. yeah. In general, yeah, if somebody wants idea. something it's like that done, idea, I say, huh? okay, like... <laughs> you bring the parts in. I'll charge you for the labor. I give them evaluations. Um, I say, you know, hey. I look at everything. I go, if somebody wants a weird pickup installed, that's something we don't offer, but they have it themselves. I look at it. I go, yeah, I got to drill a huge hole through the rim. If you're okay with that, I'll do it. Um, it's going to cost yeah. this much. Right. Yeah. And. Right. And you're going to have but a, you know, a, but, a brand but, new bed. If, if I do it, it's going to yeah. look, it's not going to look like there's a hole in it. It's going to look professional. Right. <laughs> it's going to look like it was intended. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's going to look like it was intended. <laughs> and what what's cool about that is um, that doesn't sure. really happen unless you're dealing with small builders in the guitar world. But, like, the cool part about that is that's how you get these weird one-off models that, you know, later on become legendary because somebody got that one, you know, 1962 Stratocaster right. <laughs> with, you know, the hardtail bridge and, and uh, two single coils, one from a Telecaster. You know, like... Because because right. Leo decided to do something crazy <laughs> yeah. for this person one day, like that. I mean, that's essentially how that stuff happens. And so the fact that you guys offer that level of customization, the ability to like call up and be like, yeah. "Hey, do you guys have somebody on staff that can do this for me?" is great. Um, 
you know, that's part of the reason why I like Sweetwater too, is because when I call up and I order something from them, I can say, Hey, will you guys throw this in the Plex machine? Right. And they can add that onto my bill. Yeah. And it'll come in Plex. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the kind of service I right. think real musicians would no, actually No, it's like, true. And for, the thing is, you know? like, when you're dealing with people, there's a big difference between when you're dealing with people on just a standard customer level. And I don't want to say this in, like, an elitist kind of way. I don't mean it like that. I, I just mean strictly um, when you're dealing with your average customer versus your professional customer, there there's going to be a lot more stuff that your professional customer is going to be... Uh, I don't want to say always able because contrary to popular belief, um, uh, professional, even famous musicians often don't really make much more money than your average working person. Um, no. Yeah. It, that, that's a big misconception is that like everybody who yeah, gets gigs is, is like it, making thousands yeah, of not, dollars. And it's not true. Even, Ferraris, even really you know. famous people. There, there, there are super famous people out yeah. there who who probably have far less money than you do um as 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 a working person yeah. and that's just a reality but the difference is they are they are investing in things that they are using professionally so um and I think that's this is an interesting right. thing because I I deal with um I deal with our uh, like our endorsing artists, right? I I deal with all of our endorsing artists from everybody from like a fairly unknown local level to the most famous people you can think of, and and the funny thing is that sure, uh, it doesn't really change from from the between those two levels. It doesn't really change what people are willing to pay for custom services. Some of our most famous players, uh, straight they uh, honestly, and, and this is again, this is part of the misconception. It, the assumption is that if you're seeing somebody on a big stage that's playing a show that you're paying a lot of money to go to at a big stadium, that they're that they're probably millionaires. The reality is, the reality is they they their income <laughs> might actually even be less than your average engineer. Um, you know and. And and at the same yeah. time, yeah. Um, your your local level players who might be endorsing artists of a certain you know guitar company or banjo company, whatever it be, they might they might actually they might actually be pulling in the same amount of money as those big as those high level people. So they're typically uh, the 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 amounts that these people are usually willing to pay for their for their uh, customizations. Uh, it's usually about the same. Um, the to go along with what you're saying, um, I don't know if you follow, follow mm -hmm. Rhett Scholl's YouTube channel or anything, but um, I was watching a tour vlog video that he did, and he was talking about how um, they get a per diem, yeah. you know, for for food and allowance and all that. And he's like, in order for us to get a really good piece of gear or something that we're really excited about, we basically yes. don't eat. That's and yeah. take the per diem and right. put it in their pocket. And like you think about that, that tells yeah. you how little money these people yeah. are actually making doing this. And the reason they have so much gear is not because they, you know, they have these endorsements well, or whatever. Yeah, it's and, and that's you know, that's tools, extremely that's right? way more common than people think. I, I think there's a perception and I, I didn't you know, admittedly, um 
I only know this because I work in the industry and I'm also a professional musician myself. Um, when I get a gig, um, I might, I might get a gig where I'm getting, I'm getting paid $300 to play for an hour for somebody. And, and that's, that sounds really good. But when you factor in all the rehearsal time and then there's, yeah. Yeah. Carrying all your stuff. You're you're making like, you're making the same amount that somebody that maybe works at Jack in the Box is making or McDonald's, you know? Right. And when you think about it, I mean, yeah. guitar players don't do this as much as, as oh, say a drummer, sure. yeah. but sometimes there's cartage fees involved too. So you're, you're out right. there and it's like, yeah, they're paying you. They don't pay you any well, extra and, and because you've got cartage. Like, like for local gigs, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, my, my last band that I was in played at house of blues all the time. And we go downtown where we're playing yeah. House of Blues. Well, the thing is, they don't really pay that well. Um, they they play, you know, they 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 pay comparably. No. Like they're not they're not undercutting people. They're they're paying what's the average amount. Right, right, right. It's the going yeah. rate. It's, it's but the going here's the rate. Thing. You got to pay uh, unless you're willing to walk, unless you're willing to walk two miles with your gear. You're paying twenty five bucks to park. Um, you might get a couple of drink tickets, yep. but other, you know, if you, you know, that's actually not that common. Um, so, you know, house of blues is pretty good. Like they usually cater backstage. So you'll have food. The artists will have food. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like tubs of, like a, a it's selection. usually like tubs of rice, <laughs> you know, so whatever you get. Yeah. I mean, and, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah. Sounds like my Some, kind of meal. Yeah. finger yeah. food. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say some finger food Spinal and time, like yeah. rolled no, meats, like, kind of like what you saw in. Uh, yeah, I yeah, want yeah. large bread. How am I supposed I want... to make a sandwich it's, out of this? Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like that. That's the funny thing. It's why don't <laughs> anybody who's worked at yeah yeah anybody yeah, who's worked that's... as a professional musician that's why I in laugh. those types of situations like you know that scene from Spinal Tap that is accurate. <laughs> dude, dude, I, I gotta say, I, I gotta stop you right here. The best part, like, I played a couple gigs at churches. I've never really been a true P-dubs musician, but I have played in churches, like, on, like, you know, youth nights and things like that. And I have to say, the best meals I was ever offered at venues were at churches. Because people, yeah, they they bring this stuff to you. You're like, like, what kind of potatoes (laughs) are these? You know, like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Churches have mastered the art of of potlucks. And I actually, it's funny because, you know, if if you're playing in churches and and if you're if you're a believer in God, I think I I actually call it uh, I actually like to call it yeah. uh, uh, it's 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 pot provision, not potluck, right? It's because it's God's provision, right? He's provided. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> but right, no, it's exactly, true though. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true though. Like there, it, no luck but, involved. But yeah, you know, I mean, mo- honestly, most professional <laughs> gigs that I get, um, the per diem is literally. Like I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of hired gun stuff, so I'll get hired to I'll get hired uh, for one off gigs or sometimes on a recurring basis to play for oh some some indie artist is touring uh, and maybe they need a synth bassist or they need a guitar yeah. player or a bass player whatever it is um, in in town because something happened to their main person couldn't make it to that stop on the tour or something like that. Um, and I I've, I've spent yep. a lot of time building up my network of musicians. Right. So, um, 
typically what happens is right. somebody knows me who knows this artist and they go, Oh, I got a guy. And they'll reach out to me and they'll say, Hey, I got a friend who needs a synth bass right. player. I'm like, okay. Uh, they'll, they'll connect yeah. us. I got the this. artist will send me <laughs> the material. I'll spend the time learning it. I'll get it down. We'll have sometimes, sometimes we'll rehearse for a quick one run through the set. Like the, and and sometimes yeah and sometimes, sometimes you don't rehearse no at all. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and sometimes that, that happened get, to me. This you well, one check. artist that I sometimes play with. <laughs> um, the first time I the first time that I met her was the day I was playing her her gig. You know, and 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 here's the thing: mm-hmm. like situations like that, you never know how it's going to go. You have to kind of figure it out. Like you go, okay, um, I know that for a half hour gig, this is paying one hundred fifty dollars. Okay. But initially, it's like, well, I'm not making that much money because $150, when you factor in all the rehearsal time and all the time it took me to program the sounds onto my synth and get the set in order to where all I have to do is just click through the presets right in order, that's a lot of time, right? Well, the more I play for this person, the more money I actually make because the less time I have to spend doing that. Yeah, Right, right, because you right. only had to set up once. It's like a so, tooling fee. In, so there, uh, there's a there's kind of an accountability too as a musician. You know, you have to be on top of your game. Uh, if you're not on top of your game, and you want to be in the hired gun thing or session musician, I do the session thing a lot too. I get hired to play for recording sessions, um, uh, and that's honestly those are the two main ways that I make my money in music. Um, uh, I've never made much money playing in original bands. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's not why. That's yeah. not how you make money. I, that's what I. That's what I do. Yeah. And we laugh because it's like, well, this is just bleeding heart stuff. Because I know. Yeah. yeah. Like I know it's just for my own personal yeah. selfish thing. Um, and as I've gotten older, it's like, yeah. well, you know, the, the allure of money is out there, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> I've I've only just recently gotten to where. Um, like this month and next month, <laughs> right. I'll make enough to pay my mortgage each month to, you know, through music. Sure. I don't need to, it, it's, it's a side thing for me, but the truth of the matter is, you know, it, it would be there, but I, I will say this, you know, cause I, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more. So <clears throat> I, I remember we had, uh, when I was doing country in upstate New York, um, had a similar thing. Management reached out to us. The, they had these young ladies coming into town that were um, doing a showcase and they were Nashville women, and they didn't have any band members. They were just coming as vocalists. It was kind of like The Voice, you know, meets uh, meets upstate New York, right? So we they sent us the material, um, and no singer. And it, so it was like learn these songs, and they were all original. Um, one cover. It was fourteen originals and one cover, or twelve originals and one cover, something like that. Um, and <clears throat> I had to sing. I had to not only know their parts i had to sing them i was a bass player for the band and sing the parts up until and just like you (laughs) that day we met the girls when they came into town and they and they they met us backstage and they were like oh you guys are so great we love you you know they were so sweet so very nice Mm -hmm. most of them under the age of 18 and uh then we were up there we did our our thing and then they came on stage and did their thing, and uh, it was a good pay. Um, but I right. worked 
way harder <laughs> than the money. Yeah, was. well, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of how it works. It, it's really interesting because I, I one of one of the things I was getting at with with what I was saying was, you know, you get stuff like, uh, you know, uh, uh, David, you were mentioning like per diem, right? Uh, a band gets gets per diem, and and you can use that money however you want. So the last gig that I did, you know, it was uh, it, it it was it was two hundred dollars for a forty five minute set. Um, I'm in San Diego. I had to drive up to L.A. That was about a two hour drive. Um, gas was covered, and there was a per diem, right? So that didn't right. cut into what I was getting paid for the gig. And that's nice, but you know the vast majority right. of people that are going to hire you to do these things are not going to do that. Um, no, right? No, per diem is right. for touring artists, really. I mean, that's right. Uh, yeah, because that's when you're on the road. But like, if if any of the three of mm -hmm. us, because because we, we have day jobs, right? If any of the three of us were to, to be doing sure. stuff, it would be like session work, one-off gigs, that kind of thing, and. So there was, yeah, there was a gig I did in upstate New York. I, I don't want to mention the, the band, but they were a, um, like a 60s um, and early 70s uh, vocal group. And one of the guys was sick, couldn't sing that night. Um, and there were a couple of dates they needed to cover in, um, you know, outside of the city, north, north of the city. And uh, they called me, a, a guy just like you, you know, I have connections. I have people, and so they called a guy, knew a guy, knew me, who said, "Hey, Jim, they need a, you know, they need a third part. Need somebody to sing the fifth to these songs." And I was like, "Are you kidding? That band?" And I was like, "I was like, of course I'll do it." I I didn't even ask how much money it paid. I was just excited to be there. Well, here's what they did with me. So to hide the fact that the guy was sick, they put him on stage. I stood backstage with a set of <laughs> these on. <laughs> headphones <laughs> and i sang my part they had sent me they were nice <laughs> enough to send me a recording with just my part on it so there was like a lead um tone that they put in one ear and then i had monitor of my voice in the other ear so i was able to hear what i was supposed to sing and of course i'd get a click everything else and it was it was all very but i, I was just so happy to sing for a band like that but i didn't get i i, I got a per diem because i had to spend the night because it was Certain a distance, yeah. They they kind of had to. It was um, union type stuff, but um, I didn't get oh, mileage, which was about ninety miles one way. And uh, you know, but they did feed me. They were nice enough to let you know? me hang with the band backstage and some pictures. And, but it was um, it was one of those things. You know, I was just excited to pull, yeah. to sing with a group of people I had grown up. <laughs> That's cool. Listening to and singing their music, and yeah. it was it, I was like, oh, I know every lyric. Well, you only have to sing the fifth, and you're only going to sing. So they had, like, these sheets. They gave me paper. This is how far back it was. They gave me paper, hey. and all my parts were highlighted. It was kind of like a karaoke thing. It was pretty cool. Um, it was fun. Well, they, uh, Jim, that, that story's great, by the way. Um, so you've got, like, you've got Deering Banjo, right? Like, you've been doing that for uh, seven like, years, five years now? There. Something like that? Yeah. Seven years. Um how did you get into being like in the luthier side of things? So did that, uh, when I was 14, I had a strat, right. And okay. Right. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was like a, a lot squire of strat. 
And, you know, I, I was, uh, my, you know, uh, this was like, uh, 1995. That's, that's when I was 14. So, you know, you right. can do the math, figure out how old I am. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but uh i'm not gonna bother know, uh that was my first electric guitar i'd been playing guitar for a couple of years by that time but you know electric guitar was that that's i got it for christmas well a couple of years went by so well i mean it may be a year and i figured out like it was my strat was getting harder to play right and i didn't know anything right i, I I didn't know anything about why it wasn't playing as, as well, but the interesting thing is my, now my dad lives up in Boise, Idaho, and that's where I was born, but I've lived down in San Diego, California for most of my life. Um, uh, in the nineties, my dad was, was dating somebody who used to be in Prince's first band and she okay. had a guitar, right. you know, uh, she would lend me her amp when I would go up there, and I would bring my guitar. That way, I didn't have to bring an amp on the plane. When I was a teenager, my sister and I would right, go visit right. him for the summers. And I was like, hey, you know, my guitar doesn't play that well. But I knew she was like a professional, so I was like, she had a Strat. So I was like, who do you, what do you do, like, when your guitar doesn't play? She introduced me to a luthier that was a local guy up in Boise, Idaho. Um... Right, and he had a shop in his house. He had his garage set up as a professional shop, and he, people would pay him. He was like the Boise, Idaho luthier, right? He, <laughs> right, like everybody right. in the area who was a professional right. would go to him. Like right. we all exactly. have that that. And this was around here. You know, yeah. I mean, Guitar Center certainly was in San Diego at the time, but there was no Guitar Center in Boise, Idaho at the time. It was all local shops, and um, right, and and so you 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 know, not that. You, I don't, you know, I, I don't trust Guitar Center uh, techs, but uh, uh, yeah, but, I, but, but I this was a guy well, who, you know, he was but, reputable. He would, everybody knew him. Anyway, I took my guitar to him. He showed me how to adjust the action and set the intonation. Um, one of my tuners was like the the tuner on my high E string. The the eyelet was a little bit like uh, the there was some. There was some burrs on it, the so or whatever. when when I would tune the string down, oh, okay. it would break. Uh, which well, I was like, "What? That's not supposed to happen." Interesting. But he he showed me how to like Dremel it out and like smooth it out and fix it. Well, that got me fascinated, right? So I went home and I thought, you know, I've got I've got an electric guitar, I've got an acoustic guitar. I'm a mechanically inclined person, even as a 15 year old you know, 14, 15 year old, I just started working on right. stuff. Cause I thought, well, the worst that could happen is I break it. And then I have to save up a couple hundred bucks to buy another Squire. That's the worst that can happen. Right. So I think, I think that story sure. like parallels a lot of people I know, but in particular, like I can remember when I got my first guitar and like the revelation, and we've talked about this on the show before, but there, there's a couple other instances. Of this, but the revelation that like, <laughs> wait a minute, there's a truss rod here. Like I can yeah. adjust the curvature of the neck, and, it, and just the thought that that you could do that was like, wait a minute, 
so this guitar doesn't always play the same like it it needs adjustment and it's something that is requires ongoing maintenance so like i've had other instruments like i played trumpet in high school and stuff so or in uh, middle school so for me it was like i didn't ever have to have that adjusted like this yeah. is a whole other animal um, well i i think the thing for me was it in in terms like the the way that it transitioned into a professional thing for me was there was one time when I needed, you know, I didn't know anything about electronics. I needed the jack replaced on my Strat at one point, and I and I also needed I, I needed the nut right. replaced because it was like it cracked and it was like the piece on the side where the low E string was was like literally coming off and it just wouldn't it wouldn't play well. Right. I took it to a local guy who. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't I, I don't want to say anything bad about him um, because he's very good. He's a very reputable guy. He's a well-respected local guy even still. Um, but his prices yeah. were too high for me. Uh, when you know when you're 15, I mm. you know I, I couldn't I, I couldn't even legally work yeah, right. So I, there was no way that I was going to be able to pay a dude. 150 bucks to like replace my nut and my and then then the jack you know like i just yeah <laughs> on a guitar yeah. that costs you 150 yeah. bucks yeah i, I remember my first fret <laughs> job like and this is in the late 90s was like 130 dollars yeah. and i'm going what yep you know just for regular well, maintenance and, and you know that was exactly it so i just i thought you know what my family has a woodworking background. I'm sure I can figure out how to work on guitars. So I just started working on my own stuff. And fast forward to when I was uh, 23, uh, I had been uh, I had been working for a custom cabinet shop. So I was well versed in woodworking, and and uh, I mean fine woodworking, and 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 I thought. My brother-in-law, yeah, yeah. he wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, but he is now. I was, uh, I, was, I was renting a room from he and his wife. He got a job at Carvin, and uh, he said to me, hey, you know, uh, Carvin's hiring. I was having some problems with the company, the cabinet company I was working for. They weren't, they weren't paying me uh, when I was supposed to be paid, and... It was it was good money at the time. It was, yeah, yeah, and a lot of smaller right. shops don't like that. Well, my hourly rate was really really good at the time, uh, so I kind of held on to it for a while. I didn't really mm -hmm. want to give it up, but then I at some point I figured out, you know what? I'm just I'm kind of just getting screwed because I have rent to pay, and I have. So I I said, you know what? I'm just I'll just go for it. I'll I'll go and I'll apply at Carvin. Well, they hired me, and uh, within. Within the first year that I worked there, I became the head of the fret and neck department. And so I headed up, I, I, I was heading up the fretting department for, you know, for the next seven years there. And uh, so if you pick up a carbon from like the mid 2000s, I'm assuming. There's a very good chance if you, you had your hands yeah, on it. Yeah, if you if you get your hands on a carbon from 2005, well, no, I would say maybe about 2006 through, well, yeah, no, 2005, 2005 through 2012. There's probably about a 40 percent chance I did the fret work on it. Yeah, um, that's awesome. 
and and here's the thing so the guy that the guy this is how i this is what i anybody can go work at carvin or now kiesel and get hired in the fret department right any entry-level person can go get hired to do frets at at kiesel um uh my my luck of the draw so to speak was i got hired and i was working next to a guy who had been working there since 1986 and he was a fully licensed luthier he that he right, and i he became <laughs> very very close friends um and drinking buddies and all that good stuff he taught me everything that he knew everything so by the time i was two years in at carvin i could pretty much build a guitar from the ground up um electric acoustic whatever it was i could do inlay work i could do right everything um and one of the things is i was heading up the fret department but i was also working in final assembly and uh doing repairs um so i was also doing a good majority of the final setups before they went out of the factory and a lot of the electronics installations really complex electronics installations like all of their right. like yeah they have all some of, crazy stuff going on all, over there, all of yeah. their like midi synths and all that electronics and all that kind of, i was installing all that stuff yeah and that that was that was a pain because it took an hour to install the electronics on something like that, and then you'd get to the end, and there would be one thing wrong with one of the piezo saddles, and you'd have to reverse engineer your whole, your your whole uh, your whole setup. <laughs> and that was even before you strung it up and did the actual yeah. setup, you know, <laughs> like. So, yeah, I, yeah, I I learned everything I would ever need to know professionally from Carvin, and um, and you know the the thing is. I had a really good relationship with Mark Kiesel too. Um, I I could I could go to him and I ended up in a tough situation actually because he at one point told me, uh, you know, Mark was running the company at the time. This was before Jeff ever was in. He was he was Jeff was in sales at the time. He wasn't right. involved in anything regarding production or anything like that. Uh, so I knew him, but I never dealt with him on a professional level. Mark Kiesel and I had a really great relationship. But the the problem is that because he figured out, like, he, he knew what I was capable of. He knew my skills. He knew my attitude. He uh, he and I could talk candidly about a lot of right. things. Like, I could go in his office at any given time and just sit down and talk to him about something that I felt was a problem, and he would address it, you know? It was an awesome experience, but the problem is that it created an, it created a bunch of tension between me and the two managers that were there, because I had sort of I was one of the few people that had a sort of permission to go over my boss's heads to go straight to the owner, and 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 that I didn't realize it right. at the time. I didn't realize the tension that was going to create at the time. I know now because I look back and I go, oh yeah, that was a crazy thing, but you know. It was a great company to work for, and I, I learned a lot, a lot, uh, of what I needed to know, uh, for what I do now, and the thing is, um, because of my experience at Carvin, 
And because of my good relationship with Mark Kiesel, I was able to get myself into the position of the master repairman at Deering Banjo Company. Um, Mark and Jeff came to visit the Deering factory about two years after I had been there. And uh, I got to kind of like talk and catch up with them. And at some point through that, conversations started to happen because my bosses at Deering knew what I used to do at Carvin. And that's what ended up leading to me getting the position I have at Deering now. Right. So I have to, to be honest, I, I'm eternally grateful to Carvin. Um, you know, of course now Kiesel. Um, yeah, it's just super tight. Like, and I don't think people understand that the industry is like oh, yeah. super tight and close knit. And if you work yeah. for somebody and you do something bad, Oh like, yeah, it's gonna follow you around. Yeah, you're yeah, and vice and, versa. And it works the same way as Taylor too. Like, I mean, Taylor Guitars is also in our city, um, and Greg Deering and Bob Taylor are very close friends. And they start. They actually started. I don't know if you knew this, but right. they started out together. They were um, they were make they they were making guitars yeah, in a know. shop here in San Diego in the ghetto, <laughs> and like you know they they. They were they were doing, <laughs> yeah. Oh, down in Nasty City. Yeah, yeah. What we call yeah. Nasty City National. Uh, no, and, National and, City. and uh, yeah. you know, Greg. Uh, interestingly enough, they they both played, but uh, Greg Deering is a really good flat pick guitar player, and Bob Taylor is a pretty good banjo player. So they had like a band where Bob Taylor was playing banjo. <laughs> yeah, and. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Greg Deering was playing guitar, and you know, and they they still sometimes when I first started working at Deering, you know, there'd be like jam sessions I would hear where Greg was playing guitar, and I'm like, what, what is what's happening here? Yeah, yeah, you're just shaking your head like, and then you look and he's yeah. playing a Taylor he was, guitar, yeah. you know, you're like what? because he and Bob Taylor are very good friends. I mean, to, and to give you an idea, like Deering banjos is probably about. Uh, like distance wise, we're probably a, we're, we're maybe about four miles from Taylor. It's it's a very short drive yeah, from Deering yeah. Banjos to Taylor Guitars. They're obviously a much much larger company than us. We've got a we've got a building in oh, the yeah. ghetto with about forty two people working for us. Uh, Taylor uh, is well on their way to basically owning the entire street that they're on. They've got like they've got like. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, they have a compound. They've got like seven <laughs> buildings on the same street that are all tailored. Their warehouse is like twice the size of our entire company's facility. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's all yeah. climate controlled. But and, you know, and insanity those, like but, that. You know, um, uh, yeah, they broke off and started their companies the same year, and we've got a great relationship with Taylor. Like, you know, we we get help from them all the time in terms of like, like advice on like how to, how to do things. And, and I have to say, like, I, I'm not the biggest Taylor guitar fan. I'm a Martin guy, you know? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hit or miss. Like I get I, some Martin, some Taylor. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, not a big either. acoustic yeah. guy in general though. So for me, the only thing that I, I'm not a fan of Taylor of, I, I think they're well-built, very nice guitars. But because I have a relative, I have a tenor voice. <clears throat> when I sing right. yeah, yeah. and I play a Taylor, right. they fight like frequency this. wise. Yeah. Where where with a Martin, I have more of this, 
And so Jim's making I very strange signs with those. his hands. I think I think yeah. he just you know <laughs> he just threw up the uh, the Black Our Panther salute. Like, what the hell are you talking like, about? <laughs> it's, it's the whole thing. Yeah. No. Then. Uh, uh, yeah. It, right. With Gibson too, I have a nice because Gibson has a very wide range of of acoustics yeah. that I can kind of put my voice in in those little spots. Taylor's Taylor are is more. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and they got and a lot the thing of is, like, thank you. Th- this is one thing I'll say. Um, I'm, you know, when you're playing a Martin or a Gibson, right, you're getting a lot of that robust low end. Um, even when you're strumming it really hard, you're still getting, you're not getting a whole uh-huh. lot of, you know, a, a Taylor guitar is essentially a really expensive shaker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because that's what she, when you're strumming a Taylor guitar, you're getting, you know, in a mix, in a mix. Yeah. That, you might as well just take a Martin and put a, yeah, put a just, dollar yeah, bill through just the go Johnny like Cash, Johnny Cash, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. It's I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that would make sense for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Well, you know, so we talked about Taylor. We talked about, you know, all these other companies that are, like, in the area where you're at. The question I had for you, though, is, like, so Deering has about, you said, like, Yeah, I mean, well, I think right now we we probably have a little under 40, but we tend to to float in the high 30s, early 40s. And you guys produce, based on what I was seeing, like, 30-something, 40-something models. Um, You know, it's it's not an... It, it, I, I don't want to say it's not an extensive product line because that's yeah. not true. It, it is an extensive product, product line. My thing is like, I think there's a tendency for people who are not involved in the industry to look at a company and say, oh, well, if they have 100 products, there must be 1,000 people yeah. working there and it's this big no. company. And like, no, it's not. Like, there's literally 40 people yeah. working during Banjo, you know? Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not a ton. Well, you, you know, it, um, it's, it's all about production numbers, you know? Like, a, a company our size, you know, you can look at, again, going back to Taylor, you can, you can look at Taylor and you go, you know, those guys, they're Monday through Friday. They're doing, they're doing three shifts per, per day. They're, oh, they're running, they're running all the time. Yeah. And they could be yeah. putting out a thousand they're, guitars they're, a day. I, I, mean, I think last time basically... I talked to the, I think last time I talked to the guys at Taylor, which was about four years ago and asked their numbers, they were telling me that they're averaging about six to eight hundred guitars a day. That's insane. Yeah. yeah, I believe that. Wow. And yet that's we we've well, we've talked about it like so six to eight hundred guitars a day. Where are they going? That's yeah. where are they going? Because if you do the math, <laughs> yeah. think about how many per year they've I got mean, to be in landfill somewhere. Well, I mean, you know, that, this, this is the crazy <laughs> thing too, like you got at Taylor, you've got multiple people doing the same exact job. This is the difference. Right. Um, right. At Deering, you've got like each person that works at Deering is doing one job, and that's the only person. Yeah. Like one person does yeah. inlays, one and person that's the does only frets, person, person who's yeah, doing exactly. That. Now, some people are cross trained so they can be floaters and they can, if, in, in, in case we're shorthanded or. Yeah. If somebody leaves or or has to get fired or if somebody's sick, somebody's got to be able to step in. 
I'm sure, and I'm sure we, you yeah. guys have a lot of cross training going on. Yeah, and it's just word of mouth, and like you're rounded well, enough. Well, but you know, kind of I mean, I'll give you an example. This is the one of the bigger differences in a small company versus a big company is a company like ours. Um, you know, we we have one guy who, you know, he's been working at Deering for 22 years now. I think. Um, he's definitely not our longest time employee. Our longest time employee is a guy named Chuck who just got, he just reached his, uh, 40th, his 40 year anniversary with the company. If you look online and you see mm-hmm. all the banjos with the like, wow. uh, carved heels, like all the engraved carved, he's, he does all that by hand. Okay. Um, that, that's, that's the one guy who does wow. all that. And he does all wow, of the custom news. engraved inlay work. The Banjosaurus, he's the guy that does the inlay work on that, and he does it by hand. It's not cut. It's that's insane. Because go, go to yeah. if you're listening to this episode, go take a minute, stop what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. go look at the Banjosaurus. Yeah, you got to go to yep. to Banjo's yep. private collection. So and it's the bottom one called the Banjosaurus. Yeah, the the Gab. Yeah, I yeah, kind of like I, the Gabriella, I, which is half the price. Yeah. Go well, big or go and, home. I'll get back to the Gabriella in a second, but um, just to give you an idea of the way a small company works versus a big company. Like when I was at Carvin, Carvin's like a mid-size. You know, they're not a big company, but they're not a small company either. They're like right in that in between. Yeah. They're not as. They're like a hundred hundred um, employees. I, I maybe, don't between eighty. When I was working there, we had about a hundred fifty. Yeah, but but okay, well, so that may so not be true that. now because. Um, that was back when Carvin and Kiesel. Oh, when they had the, that's yeah. right. When they had the amplifiers and They're, the yeah. PA stuff and all that. I, cause I thought the last time I saw it was like 70 yeah. something. Employees. Yeah. And, and they I mean, they split off into different companies. So if I had to guess, uh, with Kiesel guitars and I don't know, I, 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 you know, I, I, it's been seven years since I worked there. So, um, Sure, sure. And but if I had to changes, guess, sure. I would say they're they're probably about double the size we are. They're they're probably usually floating around seventy five to eighty five employees. I would guess. And again, I don't know. I'm just yeah. Okay. I'm just yeah. pulling. That sounds you know. about right. Yeah. Yeah, but that's but that sounds about right. I mean, um, sure. they're, they're kind of a smaller niche brand, and and but, so that that well, sounds but, right. But you I know, mean, like so. Let when I worked at Carvin, for instance. So if somebody was gone for the day, you know, there were probably three other guys that were already doing that job. So anybody could just up, oh, just maybe, maybe yeah. two or three Sub guys in. would pick up a couple of extra guitars per day and just kind of hustle a little bit extra. And that's, that's it. Maybe in rare occasions, maybe stay an hour of overtime and just get it done. Um, but it, but at Deering, at Deering, if somebody's out, a lot of times, literally the vice president is stepping out into the shop and actually like sanding necks or even Janet Deering. Janet's the CEO. Um, it's not uncommon to walk out into the shop after shop hours and see her out there sanding good time necks. Um, well, you know, because the, the mentality at Deering is we just have to get it done. Right. Yeah, and, and there's no and, and, and there's no elitism. Life. You know, there's no like I'm not saying there is at Carvin. I'm not saying that at all. But No no. Well that's it's really cool though, because you think about it like 
you know, everybody wants to believe that when you bought a, a GNL from the late right. 80s, right, that, that <laughs> yeah, Leo yeah. somehow blessed it, right? Um, but it like Deering, I mean, Dan it Deering yes, might have yeah, actually exactly. sanded the back of the neck, you know. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> it's a well, very cool and, thing. When and, you think and the about thing it. is too, at Deering, so, like Greg and Janet are still very, very, very much involved in the company. They're not they're not just owners making decisions and handing them down. They're they're at the factory every day. Um, my workbench is next to Greg Deering's workbench. Um, so Greg and I are often working alongside each other on banjos. And it's really cool because he tells me stories from like back in the day when they, when they used to work out of their garage, you know, and, um, and Jamie Deering, who's a, she's a few years older than me, but, um, you know, she, well, I think she, she's like two years older than me. I think, um, I had a, I had a banjo in the shop a couple of weeks ago that, was a 1992 John Hartford signature banjo, right? It's a pretty popular model, but it was okay. You know, to get one from 1992, uh, it's you know that that's from back when like John Hartford was still alive. The head was signed by Earl Scruggs, um, and the right, thing is right. that Jamie was able to look at that banjo and go, "Oh, I worked on that one. I buffed that one." You know, it, you know, <laughs> and, and that's kind of cool. You know, I. Yeah. I I think there's something to be said about a company that, and you know, when you get bigger, you can't really blame companies for not doing this when they get to a certain size, because it gets to a point where you just can't, you, you can't, it, it's right. Well, yeah, it's not possible. The, the not number possible. of customers, it, it would just be impossible. Sure. Sure. No. And, and I don't think that should discourage no. people from like, say buying from somebody like Fender. If they got the product yeah, you absolutely. want, the, it's the product you want. Right. Um, <laughs> It may not have like the crazy mythological status, but I think we, I honestly think we often prescribe yeah. too much to that as musicians that like there's some sort I think of so too, yeah. Joe that happened in the production of an instrument. Um, so I want to, I want to say something before we go too far. And I, and because of the fact that I defend my guitar center a lot, so I'm going to say this about the, the person that heads yeah. up our repair department, he used to work for Gibson. And he's gone to Gibson's train, gone through Gibson's training. And now some people might go, "Well, that makes it even worse." Right? Is he band song your guitars in half? <laughs> I saw him out back oh. with a with a, um, yeah. with a front yeah, loader. That's and where a that uh, forty thousand uh, dollar uh, SRV tribute <laughs> electric went. <laughs> Whoops! But no, um, uh, I just wanted to say that that we are lucky, I guess, because we have. First of all, they didn't even have repairs there. Um, just a couple years ago, no, there were that, no repairs. That's been a pretty at, recent guitar thing center. for Guitar Center as a as a brand in general. Like what I remember, yeah. our local store had a deal with another shop actually in the city that that rented space in their in their building to do repair work. Yeah, so um, I don't know if it's the same with all guitar centers, but our guitar center, he is a. He's an independent yeah, and contractor. Yeah, I think that is because they because even the uh, the instructors are independent contractors. That's so they don't have to. Yeah, do so the he tax doesn't paperwork. actually work for. Yeah, he doesn't actually work for Guitar Center. He works for. Um, he gets paid by him, obviously, just like I don't work for the Coast Guard. Yeah. I work for a company, but the Coast Guard gives money to the company to get so, money to get something done. I feel sorry for those people. Okay, so I got to ask you a qu a couple <laughs> questions because we're coming up on. We've been yeah, an hour we're and 40 gonna... minutes, and I want to 
Yeah, so I want to I want to respect your time. So I I got to ask you a couple of questions that that um so as far you don't have to give any names. I don't want any names. But what is the most interesting repair or customization as you mentioned earlier that you've had to do? I just find it funny that that um to get a customization done, I I would actually get a guitar that was brand new but it would be repaired. But anyway, so um what is the most interesting story that you can kind of give us about, you know, a, a banjo that's come in? You said, oh, I had to do this to, to well, the banjo. You know, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to be boring here, but I've never actually really gotten too many crazy things that I can talk about. Um, there there have been some <laughs> things, but I'm not allowed to speak about them officially. I've seen some stuff. I've yeah, done some things. I, there are some things that I've had to work on. Not yet. <laughs> and, and and I'll give you, just to give you some context here, the reason I can't talk about them is literally because these are these okay. are products that are in development that are in like intended to be kind of trademarked things that are uh, that are not uh, I, I'm not I don't have per, I don't have permission to speak about them. Right. Um yeah, but you know, to discuss them yet? Yeah, but you know, I've Once I've gotten become some declassified. I, I've gotten some interesting, like, um, <laughs> like I think probably probably the most complex, the most complex repair I've ever gotten was we had an artist that wanted, um, he had an well, he had an existing banjo, and he wanted uh, side dots installed that had LEDs behind them that would light up so that when he was on stage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just, yeah. I just be uh, <laughs> pretty soon yeah. you're routing a chassis into the back of the well, neck so you can run wires. Through you know, it, I'll you know, tell you what, it was a pain because we had to figure out how to get those wires from the neck. He needed a switch installed in the inside of the banjo's rim uh, to, turn on and off and with okay. a battery pack on it right so and then he also wanted the 12th fret inlay lit up uh so yeah so <laughs> naturally, we, we had to naturally. take the fingerboard off of it and and route a channel uh for the wires all the way down the fingerboard well the funny thing is uh this this thing was i mean it was it was bad we got it we got it done and i don't know how much you guys <laughs> know or don't know about banjos but that fifth string um there are various different ways of uh of capoing that string to to change the the drone note you know right. if you're going to play in the key of a and you need to capo on the second fret you either have to tune that string up a full step or you have to find some way to capo it well one of the ways to capo it is to install these little tiny railroad spikes and you tuck the string under and that's kind of tricky in itself because you have to install it so that it doesn't get in the way of fretting the note if you want to. And it's also it also can't be yeah. above the fret surface because then it'll buzz, right? So it's a tricky thing in <laughs> itself. But um, uh, we got this done, and this artist wanted railroad spikes installed on frets 6 through 10, right? Well... <laughs> <laughs> the the uh the final assembly guys installed the railroad spikes and uh 
the railroad spike, one of them went into the wiring for the LEDs. So well, oh, we great. had to uh, we had to redo the whole thing, and we not only did we have to redo it, it was it happened in a way where it was like, okay, well, the spike has to go right there. So essentially, what happened was the routing for the channel for the wires was miscalculated, and we had to rebuild an entire neck uh, for this guy. Oh. And then after that was done, um, I had to figure out how to run the wires uh, from the neck through the rim without getting pinched by the tone ring and all that kind of stuff uh, to be mounted on the inside of the rim in a way that was easily accessible for this guy on stage. That's that's probably about the craziest thing right, I've, right. I've had to do. Let, let's, let's back up for a second. Let, let's, let's think about this for a moment. What kind of a banjo player, because banjo is a pretty traditional instrument, right? It has light up 12th fret and light up inlays for the side dots. Yeah, Steve. Like, is this Steve Vai? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine. Like, what kind of music are you going to play with a banjo, banjo that yeah. lights up like this? I mean. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's no, like you'd be surprised, banjo. though. They're, they're. We we have a lot of people that do some pretty creative stuff with with banjos um, that that very closely bumps up on on the on the on the border of uh, of just yeah yeah like yeah like shred and I mean this guy he's yeah. he's like a bluegrass player but the thing is he he does a lot of stuff where he's playing like they have elaborate stage sets and they have like lighting and stuff where he sometimes the lights are off and he just needs to be able to know where he is and. Yeah, yeah, no, and that makes sense. Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kiesel does the Luminalay now, and that's one of the features on my seventh yeah. string that I absolutely love. Um, it actually <laughs> saved my bacon last night because um, the place we were at, like they had, you know, they had all the crazy yeah. stage lighting, and it was really dark, dark to the point oh, where man. I couldn't see the settings on my effects <laughs> pedals. So it's like, yeah. Uh, well, then, uh, so you know, but it. Um, we we do actually usually ask one more question, right, Jim? We got the the one last one. But wait, wait, I no. gotta ask so a different are, question now because I I want to get one before we get to okay, that final right, question. Right, we don't have the on. pizza question, Come by on. the way, so you don't have to worry about that. Although no, we no, will we ask you where your favorite you tacos pizza. come from because you are in San Diego and you gotta you gotta tell us that because <laughs> when I get out, yeah, we're gonna be coming out. Hopefully, kind of hopefully we'll nick Nam and we wanna. We want to try to oh yeah find some cool stuff to do while we're out there. So maybe we'll see you. But um, so I, I got to ask you the, another question. So you came from from was it Kiesel when you left or had it was it still Carvin when you left? It was still Carvin. It was still Carvin. Um, the there's an interesting thing that the company I don't know if you know this, but the company actually started as Kiesel, right? In the 40s, um, Lowell right. Kiesel. Now here's the. I, I feel like I worked at the company at a good time because I worked under Mark Kiesel when Lowell Kiesel was still alive. Mm -hmm. So I knew Lowell Kiesel. Um, right. I, and I, I went to his memorial and all that stuff. I remember like when he died. Right. He's Jeff's so, grandfather, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I got, I got to meet Lowell Kiesel and I got to speak yes. with him a number of times, you know, and, and like, uh, he, he was a, he was a lap steel player. You know, he was like a Hawaiian lap steel player. Mm -hmm. And back in the day when Carvin first started, they were making amps and pickups and lap steel guitars. Uh, 
Now, Mark yeah. Kiesel, that Mark Kiesel, I was in his office one time and he handed me a guitar that was it was essentially it was a dobro, but it didn't it didn't have a didn't have an aluminum right. uh, cone like resonator cone. It was just it had a wood one. It was like an all wood dobro that was set up to place like interesting uh, that that his dad had made uh, when he was fifteen. And I got to play that thing. Sure. So I I feel like I got to work for the company at a really good time. I, I worked there. Um, you know, it was still carving at the time. I want to say about maybe a year and a half to two years after I left, that's when they started introducing the, 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 uh, the, the Kiesel, the Kiesel, the Kiesel models, but the company was still carving. Then they actually reacquired right. the Kiesel name and would still make Car- Carvin branded guitars before they actually did the full yeah. shift to now where everything is just Kiesel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, always, it's a very interesting thing how all that happened. And I, I have a lot of like, we, maybe we'll talk about sometime off, offline. I have a lot of very interesting like, I wonder. I wonder if this is why this happened. You know, kind of thing. Um, but it's all speculation, yeah. so I'm not going to put it on the podcast, and it doesn't really mean anything. Because honestly, Kiesel, I, I think Kiesel's yeah, making so do I. excellent instruments today, and every Carvin I've played has yeah. been great. Yeah, too. that. So they've definitely. Um, there was a time when a Kiesel, or well, say a Carvin used, was the 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 used market was not very good, but. Um, Jeff Kiesel has really made it so that the the used market on carbon Kiesels it has come back incredibly. Yeah. Hey, dude, I I think I would take like a fifty dollar yeah, yeah. hit if it's I really sold good. my Zeus. So so um I it, we have our final question that we get to ask everybody, and you don't have to answer. You don't have to say anything. We got to ask you for. I hope we got to ask you I for hope, your funniest, most question. embarrassing story. It could be of your your. Uh, Time at Kiesel, it can be of your or Carvin, it can be something um, crazy been, that happened uh, to you. Uh, backing up somebody on stage or as a session or anything like that. Don't have to, yeah, no Don't names. Have to name names. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it's funny because the I'll, I'll give you my most embarrassing work story. It might not seem that crazy, but it was a moment that. I never lived down as long as I worked at Carvin. Um, I was working on an Alan Holdsworth signature guitar that was actually for Alan Holdsworth. And um, I, <laughs> this is the stupidest thing ever. There was, uh, the, the guy that glued the nut on had used way, way too much glue. So I was trying to chisel it off. And I was I was doing this in a way where I was holding the headstock and I was chiseling the glue off like with the chisel pointed towards like the webbing between my first and my first finger and my thumb. Oh, I'd, <laughs> I can see where this is going. Yes. You, yes. Uh, your your guess as to where it's going is probably accurate. Um, <laughs> well, here, what happened was now this was a freshly sharpened chisel, right? Um, yes. The nut, the nut popped off, and the chisel went straight into the webbing between my thumb and my first finger, about a half inch deep, and it was a half inch wide chisel, so it wasn't a small wound. No, now, you were probably bleeding everywhere. 
I've nicked myself with chisels plenty of times. So as sharp as the chisel was, it didn't it didn't feel that bad. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, uh, I better check it anyway. So I looked and I'm like, I could see all the things inside my hand. <laughs> I was like, nope, I'm not supposed to see that. Nope. <laughs> and it wasn't even bleeding Medic! yet. Yeah. It wasn't even bleeding yet until about two seconds later, all the blood started to come out. <laughs> my whole left forearm this was my left hand right so as a guitar player it's like this is my fretting hand <laughs> i'm like i'm like this is the okay this is the worst all the blood starts coming out my whole left forearm is covered in blood just dripping off my elbow and yeah all. and here's the thing like you know if you've ever worked in a factory you know the kind of people that work in a factory they're just like oh, look what happened to miller <laughs> yeah, you know like uh, <laughs> you know and i'm just sitting there yes, going, yes. Meanwhile, you know, it's like I'm the head of a department, right? So I'm supposed to be like, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the guy that doesn't do stuff like that. That's supposed to happen <laughs> to the new guys, right? <laughs> Sitting here. So I put a cloth in my hand. Uh, I stumbled over to the sink, washed washed it out. Uh, I started getting the tunnel vision because I lost a lot of blood. So I was starting to get, right. little, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, I was starting to get weak. And I sit down in my boss's office and I was like, I have to go to the hospital, and next thing I know, I wake up like probably about thirty, <laughs> probably about thirty seconds later. It wasn't that long of a time, but I had passed out, and uh, the head tech as well as Mark Kiesel were standing over me, like trying to wave in front of my face, their hands to get my attention. Now this was about three days before Halloween, and apparently yeah. I was very pale. Yeah, and because you know because of what just happened. And Mark, the first thing that happens to me, I come to, and I'm like, I figure out what's going on. And Mark Kiesel looks at me and he goes, "You know, Halloween's not till not till Saturday. You're not supposed to be a ghost yet." You know, <laughs> holy so, crap! Yeah, so I had to, I had to, you know, I had I had to be the. Oh, well, now this is the thing. There, if you hurt yourself at Carvin, <laughs> there was there was shame attached because <laughs> if he. <laughs> Well, and I certainly wasn't the worst. There was one person who was working in the cabinet department, and they stapled their hand to a cabinet while putting the Tolex on a on a speaker cabinet. I believe it. I've <laughs> seen crazy stuff like that, man. Yeah, we had uh, we had somebody. I I worked for a company that used to make luggage racks. Uh -huh. and we had somebody do something similar. We also had people shear off fingers in oh, yeah. shearing machines. Oh yeah, and in one case, like the dude was. So he wasn't following the proper policy. They got lockout, tag out, and all that. Anyway, but he but he cuts off the tip of I believe it was his middle finger. And um, of course they rush him, and, and apparently he's a, he's a temp, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the funny part was he starts, you know, I'm gonna sue you and all this stuff until he's asked for ID. He wasn't 18 yet. Oh, <laughs> he wasn't even man. supposed to be working there. The guy didn't even have a case. It Whoops. was like <laughs> you lied to be here. You were being unsafe, and you cut off the tip of your finger. Go. <laughs> Whoops. We had um, so on the uh, on the USS Mississippi, we had a guy. Um, we we worked in really high voltage. Um, I was in the weapons systems, and it was this nineteen thousand volt <clears throat> uh, section of a transmitter, and uh, we had something called a, a a bar circuit that when you opened it up, it was supposed to automatically discharge all the capacitors now anybody who's ever grabbed a capacitor that's some <laughs> jerk right charged up and handed to you knows how that feels right 
Imagine <laughs> 19,000 volts on one of these things, right? Their capacitor is as big as your forearm. Oh, and um, so this crowbar circuit, um, I guess, didn't discharge everything. We had it lockout, tag out, but you're supposed to go through with this with this huge device. You you um you put a um, glove on. You were supposed to discharge all the points. Must have missed a point to discharge to check. So we reached in to do something. And you're, just, you're never supposed to even completely off and discharge. Never supposed to put your hand inside that thing, right? He puts his hand in there with a regular oscilloscope probe, and there's this. I hear pow, and I see the spark, and his hand flies back like this, and he gets knocked back. And I said, what did you do? <laughs> and this was his response. I just did this. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, wow, there is no end to your stupid. <laughs> That's I, the kind of person that you should just remove from the gene so, pool Yeah, right I, now. Told the, I told the other you guy, have, I go, yeah. now you take him. And you walk him to medical. Don't leave his side. <laughs> and then psych after that. <laughs> and then I'm calling medical. Luckily, we were on a nuclear guided missile cruiser. We actually actual surgeon there. So just in case anything happened. And because if you ever get shocked on a ship, they have to hook you up to an EKG and do all this other stuff. So yeah. It was just one of those things that, that was like, how could you, it, it, you know, <laughs> but. When it's I was not a, funny, but it is. When I was a little boy, my father bought me a knife, right? And and he was like, you know, oh, he's in the... I don't remember what it was called, but it was right before Cub Scouts. It was like Mini Scouts or something. I don't know. Like Mini Wheats. I, I, I can't remember. But um, he's, we were doing the, the derby thing where you carve a soapbox derby thing. And yeah. he gave me my block of wood and my brand new Buck 112 or Buck 110. And so this this knife, and I start to carve, and I cut off the end of my finger. Oh man! <laughs> well, we're not gonna let you have a knife for a little while. My mother freaked out so bad. I mean, the, the number of of uh, cuts I have today, you'd never know. But all right, all right. I could never before, do anything right. Before we end, I'm gonna tell you my my knife story. So when I got my first knife, I got a buck knife. From um, it was my dad, and my uncle, and uh, we were living on their farm for a while while he was in between jobs. And he gets me this knife, and he says, "You know, you're you're of the age you can have a knife, right?" I was probably twelveish, right, ten, twelveish. Um, but the thing is, they blunted it, and they didn't really blunt it all that well. So, like looking back now, I'm yeah, I got knives now. Like I I don't collect them, but I use them all the time. And I'm like, you really think about it. You blunted a knife, and that makes it dangerous. <laughs> so you made it—you actually made it more dangerous than if you gave me a sharp one. If you really think about it, yeah, for sure, not such a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that's you know, the that's, thing about that's... that pain, though, Sam. Like you were talking about, you don't yeah. feel it. You don't feel it when it happens. When it's super sharp. Yep. Well, you know, that's the funny thing. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, the the fact. Now, I used to sharpen my chisels so so that I could. I could dry shave my arm with them. That's how I yes. tested them. Yeah. That's how I tested them. I'm like, okay, chisel. Cause when you're working with wood and stuff, like you want it that sharp because then it's super accurate. It's easy to work with. Well, the thing is if you stab yourself in the hand, like I did, <laughs> it doesn't feel as bad as it is. And but it cuts deeper. <laughs> it cuts deeper. 
it cuts easier. But the thing is that the doctors told me too, they're like, look, it's actually better that it was sharper because then it's easier to mend it because right, if it's right. dull, then it tears everything and right. it's better to have a cut than it's better to have a clean cut than it is to have like tearing. Yep. Right. You know, so I have a little scar, you know, but yeah, I mean, it was the thing it sucked. I couldn't, I couldn't play guitar for like eight weeks, you know, I was going to yeah. ask you about that. So a couple well, months out of the guitar, right? You know what happened? Well, the, the, this, the funny thing is that the band I was playing in at the time, um, I, I changed, I changed my role in the band for a little bit. I was only playing either slide guitar or harmonica <laughs> the entire time that my hand was injured. And then I switched back to normal guitar after nice. it. <laughs> that worked. Was, that there, worked. was there any learning curve? Like when you went back to it, you were like, Oh man, this is a little weird. No, no. It, no. So you got a hundred percent back. I mean, well, I, I wouldn't say a hundred percent. I wouldn't say there was a hundred percent no learning. Like, it felt weird just because I hadn't played in eight weeks. You know, yep. like there was that weird. You know, it's like I went on a trip one time where I didn't, I, I didn't drive my car for a month, and then I came back. Yeah, and, and the it, first time you get in the car, you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, it feels weird, but it comes right back, right? Yeah, yeah. it, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I play, I'm more on the shred guitar end of things, right? Like that's the kind of music I play. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can say legitimately that if I don't play for like two days and I pick up the guitar, I literally lose some of what I'm able to do. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so if I had like an eight week injury like that, I would be furious. <laughs> it would just be yeah. angry as hell. <laughs> no, I, I get that. Cause you know, um, my, my guitar playing is, I, I don't, I used to, I used to do like, you know, I used to, when I was learning to play, I was playing a lot of like Pantera and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Right. I used to be able to do all that stuff, but I, I personally just got, as far as what I wanted to do, I still love it and appreciate it for listening. But as far as what I wanted to play, I got really disinterested in all that kind of shred stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So for anything, I've... for anything I'm doing on guitar, there's nothing that I'm doing that's on that level. So I could I could go for a couple of weeks without playing and be fine, right. but but I feel it. Um, I feel it when I when I don't uh, when I don't. I get that on a synthesizer when I'm playing my synths. Yeah. Um, if I'm not if I'm not practicing daily, if I miss a couple of days on that, um, it's a weird thing because it's my second instrument, so I, ha I have to stay on top right, of it. You really it. have to keep the chops up, right? I really, yeah, I really do. I have to. I didn't grow up playing piano, so it's all, especially in my right hand. You know, yep. there's there's a lot of weird stuff where if I if I don't stay on top, so uh, yeah, I I get that with uh, I get that with keyboards. But like I said, you know, the stuff I play on guitar, it's the kind of stuff I play is more along the lines of like. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's easy. It's not, I don't do anything too difficult. You know, and I, I don't want to like downplay that and be like, Oh, well, you know, sure. Cause, cause I'm a high level player and like, I'm not, <laughs> um, but, but I do play like last night I played an open mic and I thought I bombed. Like it was like, I was like, Oh, it's just the wrong crowd. Like <laughs> not the music for this crowd. And some guy comes up to me and he like taps me on the shoulder and he's like, he's like, that was really good. He's like, that sounded like Bayou and Satriani. And I looked at him and I was like, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> you know, like, no, it didn't. But, 
but I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, no, it yeah. didn't. Um, I don't know. So it's just, I, it's just something I've noticed. And like, I hear people having these long-term injuries. There's somebody else in a group that um, cut themselves and they were talking about, you know, having to have stitches and, and um, nerve repair and all kinds of other stuff wow. going on. And I'm going, man, like I could not imagine being told I couldn't play the guitar for like eight weeks. Like it's but, just nuts. Um, but uh, anyway, I think I speak for the both of us when I say it's been great having you on the show. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, and we pleasure. barely scratched the surface of all the yeah, things. Dude. You, you got to do your own podcast thing and, and tell people about all this stuff that you do. It's yeah, we'd love, to have, we'd love to have you back at some point. Like, we, sure. we're always open to, um, you know, like, if we get more luthier-type stuff. Or, like, what is it? we've had uh, Nick Bongers on the show yeah. um, from Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. And oh, cool. One of, he's our show's, like, main sponsor. Um, and... He like we'll bring him on to consult about guitar pickups if there's a big topic related to guitar pickups. Like he'll come yeah. on and, and help us out. And yeah, um, anytime, anytime. Uh, I've I've had a great. Th- th- this is uh this is my second experience being on a podcast. Yeah. So um, we try to keep it natural and we don't try to like like sugarcoat things. You've seen my yeah. cats running around behind me all episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got this big thing over here because my my. My bathroom is a straight shot from this door. My daughter was getting ready to go to bed for the uh, night. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we let it all hang out. And um, we're not afraid to kind of be ourselves and let our guests be themselves. Cool. So, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's that's what I like, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, I, you know, anytime uh, anytime you guys feel like you want to have me on, just reach out. And I'm yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Because there's a lot of mind. We got to talk to you about the live stuff and the uh, session stuff too. <laughs> yeah, there we you didn't go. even scratch the surface of that. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, man. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. And I have been and still am Sam. All right. <laughs> Tonight we've all been the practical guitarists.